Pastor Xavier Reese explains the role of consequences in the stability of society. There is no consequences, therefore there is no incentive for obeying the law. We decriminalize the law. We keep hearing that we need more taxes so we can put more policemen on the streets. No, we don't. We just need to have more consequences of the things that we are catching people in. You've got to be exercising consequences to deter people. Very simple. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. As the Israelites were en route to the Promised Land, an ordered society was imperative for a healthy passage through the wilderness. And as Pastor Xavier returns to the book of Numbers, he identifies three key God-ordained elements that ensured stability, not just for the children of Israel, but also have practical application for responsible living even today. So grab your Bible if it's handy as we continue a simple truth study entitled, God's Order for a Healthy Society. Numbers chapter 5, God in making preparation for Israel's journey here through the wilderness, He points out three key factors for a stable and healthy society. The first is the call to a sanctified and holy life, verses 1 through 4. Notice first that Israel, the community of God's redeemed, was to put out of the camp every person who fell under these three full categories. First of all, the leper. The leper was incurable. The second person is a person that had a discharge. He would be removed outside the camp also. The discharge could be anything from sexual, uh, sexual nature, such as venereal disease or an infection which would have a running ooze from the body. And you find that there, uh, Leviticus chapter 15, verse 2. Remember, we went through all those purifying rites and all the different meticulous things that um, they were to observe. The third person is the person who had touched a dead body. He would be put outside the camp. Again, the duration would be for seven days, chapter 19, verse 11. The defilement would be of the tabernacle of the Lord, chapter 19, verse 13 says. And so here you have the three individuals that would be put outside the camp, living a sanctified life and a holy life, the community of God's redeemed. And so it is wisdom to obey this very first factor, to look to it. You know, our society is so full of young people and older people alike who have chosen a lifestyle sanctified unto sin and unholiness that the destruction is seen all around us. The wisdom of isolating any person who is infected with any disease from the rest of society, especially if it is lethal, is basic. That is not uncompassionate. You do what you can for them based on the medical ability and knowledge that you have, but you do not sacrifice one or few for all. You do not. The command of God to each of us in the symbolic way of the leopard, he is a type of sin. We've studied that before. And so each of us are to remove ourselves from those people or those lifestyles that are being lived out perpetually in sin. Apart from God. Not that we are so self-righteous, not that we're better, but we have turned our lives to Christ. 
And when we don't choose to do that, then the darkness will suck us in. Remember one thing. You, as a Christian, are light, but you also have a dark nature, don't you? It's called sin nature. A non-believer has nothing but sin nature. And when you put that together, let me tell you, you're not going to bring light to them. They're going to suck darkness back into you. Because sin nature is strong. And so, does that mean you can't have regular friends that aren't Christians? Oh, yes, have friends, have that. But be careful that your relationship is not so intimate, not so close, not so continuous to where you start being infected and pulled in and compromised. And pretty soon, you can't tell the difference between you and the non-believer. There's a danger. And so, obedience to a sanctified and holy life results in a physically and spiritually healthy society. It's basic. Notice, secondly... The call to a truthful and just life, verses 5 through 9. This focuses on interrelational responsibilities with others in society. When you first read chapter 5, you think that it's disjointed. There's no real relationship to what precedes it and follows, but it is. In the connection in this chapter, you see that it begins with one person, then it goes to societal relationships, and then it goes to marital relationships. The connection is very progressive. And so this focuses on interrelationships between others in society. Notice first, Israel, the community of God's redeemed, was to be a people who sought one little word, reconciliation. Verses 5 through 7. The individual who committed unfaithfulness in the things of the Lord was to acknowledge his guilt or her guilt. Verse 5 and 6. Notice secondly, the individual had to confess his guilt. The first part of verse 7. For he says there, He shall confess the sin which he has done. The sin which he has done. Very specific. But notice thirdly, the individual had to make restitution for his trespass in full value plus 20% and given to the person who they wronged. You acknowledge your sin, you confess your sin to the individual, and then you make restitution when you can. Now it is not always possible to make restitution. But whenever possible, restitution is to be made. But notice one more thing. Israel, the community of God's redeemed, was to see their sin, that it didn't affect just the person they have sinned against, but it affects the extended family, affecting the whole of society. When you do something to someone, then their relatives, their brother, their sister are offended. And their family, if they find out. And it takes a, 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 a dynamic of societal revenge and consequences. Isn't this what we kind of see with the gang mentality? You see, if it doesn't stop, if it's not made right, it goes on and on and on. Notice in verse 8, the beginning, the guilty person was to make restitution to the relatives. He says, but if the man has no kinsman, it's by implication... You went to the person, if they were no longer around, then you went to the next of kin, the goel. And if there was no goel, then you went to the priest and you gave it to him. Why? The man was to sense the debt to the person, to the relative, to society. And he was not to be released from it until he did it. Look to our society. We have released people from all sense of responsibility in acknowledgement of their guilt, in confession of their guilt, in restitution of their crime. They have the guy on video hitting that guy with a brick in the head and his mom is saying, that's not my boy. 
We've got big problems in America. We deceive ourselves. We don't want to acknowledge truth. In a book entitled The Day America Told the Truth, it's a shocking book. It's a secular book. It gives you all the statistics about American society. It was done at the beginning of the 90s. The condition of America. This is what it says. Lying has become a cultural trait. Lying is embedded in our national character. The majority of Americans today, two of every three, believe that there is nothing wrong with telling a lie. Only 31% of us believe that honesty is the best policy. This applies also to the church, I believe. I believe the church is neck and neck with the world on every level today. No different. If society is ever to be stable and functional, people must acknowledge their fault, their failure, their sin to the offended party for there to be reconciliation. If you do not acknowledge it, reconciliation can never take place. That's the very first step. You must acknowledge your guilt, your offense. Some people have committed injustices and brought destruction to others' lives, and they never have acknowledged their wrong. Instead, they have justified their actions by saying, well, you did this. And if you wouldn't have done that, and and you're familiar with the conversation, instead of saying, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I lied to you about the information. I'm sorry I deceived you by not telling you all the truth. I'm sorry by just being silent about the truth. Acknowledging it. Confessing it. If society is ever going to be stable and functional, people must confess their sin and not just say, I'm sorry. In other words, it's got to be specific. I stole your car. Can you forgive me? I robbed you of your virginity. Can you forgive me? I was wrong. I manipulated you. I used you. I lied to you about my past. This is the truth. Can you forgive me? Heavy, isn't it? If society is going to be stable and functional, people must make restitution. First, it demonstrates physical evidence of one's true repentance. You say, you know, I'm sorry I stole your car. Can you forgive me? Here's your car. Or you say, you know, I sold it, but here's the money. You don't just say, well, I sold it. But you say, here's the money. It's important. It finalizes the offense and reconciliation, removing bitterness and releasing a person in forgiveness. When there is physical, tangible evidence, not just your word. It can extinguish any relative revenge in the future when that is presented to the individual. I mean, there's such a benefit, such wisdom in these basic little things. Obedience to a truthful and just life with others results in a morally, ethically, and emotionally healthy society. Look to our society. It's just the opposite. Why? Because they haven't done these first two things. It's incredible. And we think that money and education is going to straighten us up. (laughs) No, it doesn't. 
It's inside that has to be cleaned up. The third and final factor is found in verses 11 through 31. The call to a faithful and trustworthy life. This focuses on marital relationships for the sake of society. Let me repeat that. This focuses on marital relations for the sake of society. Too many people are interested in their own marriage without the consideration towards society. Marriage is more than your happiness together. Marriage extends to the benefit of society. And because people do not believe that, they opt out and they get out of their marriages and they go from one to the other if they even bother to get married because they don't have society in view. They only have themselves in view. Israel, the community of God's redeemed, was to be a people of faithfulness to the covenant of marriage. Now notice first here, the occasion describes a woman who has become unfaithful to her husband in the covenant of marriage, verses 11 and 12 there. She has broken the marriage bonds. She has not considered it to be holy, honorable of God. Secondly, the occasion for the law was when a wife had become sexually unfaithful and it was hidden from her husband and there were no witnesses, verse 13. In other words, no, not only has she done this by to the covenant, but now she has betrayed her husband's trust. She has hidden it from his eyes. And notice thirdly, the occasion provided for both the spirit of jealousy when it was in fact true of her unfaithfulness and the occasion when the spirit of jealousy came about but there was no truth to his jealousy. Verse 14. You say, well, you know, it sounds kind of unfair to me, Xavier. I mean, poor woman. What if this guy was jealous all the time? She'd be drinking muddy water all the time. And that's unfortunately true. But let me propose to you that it is not unfair. Because remember, Israel was a theocracy. And they understood that the man was the head of the home and that God was the one who judged all things. Okay? And I'll show you as we move along that it wasn't unfair. Notice, secondly, that Israel, the community God redeemed, was to allow God to be the judge in such a case. Verses 15 down to 28. The priest was not the judge. The husband was not the judge. Because why? It was hidden from his eyes and there was no witnesses. Now, the man would bring his wife to the priest. Then the man would offer a meal offering without oil and frankincense, symbolic of interrupted fellowship and worship in verse 15. Oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit and frankincense worship. And there was definitely fellowship and worship that had become interrupted by this suspicion or by this adulterous relationship. Notice thirdly, the priest would put her before the Lord and take water in a vessel and dust from the tabernacle floor, putting her under an oath for the curse, responding, Amen, in agreement to all that the, judge, the priest said, verses 16 through 22. That's the procedure. And then notice from verse 23 to 28 that the woman would then be given the bitter water under the curse. The offering represented God's judgment that would be manifested. 
if she was guilty of the curse, and it would be a divine judgment upon her, but if she was innocent, she was released. Now you can imagine the woman. She knows God knows everything. She has seen God judge the, the, the Egyptians. She has seen God already wipe out many at the foot of Mount Sinai. And here she's guilty. And the priest is going through this whole ritual. And you can imagine what's going on inside. I'm in trouble. There is no way out of this. So it wasn't a very comfortable thing for this woman if she was guilty. Because she knew, ultimately, God's judgment would fall upon her. Now, notice that Israel, the community of God's redeemed, was to benefit from this process. You say, how? Let me give you some ways that it benefited. One, the woman was struck by God's divine judgment if she was guilty, removing the adulteress from the society, therefore putting fear in the heart of others. Great incentive. That's what's lacking in our society today. There is no consequences, therefore there is no incentive for obeying the law. We've decriminalized the law. We keep, taught, we keep hearing that we need more taxes, that we can put more policemen on the streets. No, we don't. We just need to have more consequences of the things that we are catching people in. That's all we do. And we'll save ourselves taxes and men out there on the street. You can put everybody out in the street with a gun. And then you have a big warfare. You've got to be exercising consequences to deter people. It's very simple. To deter people. It's very simple. Secondly, the innocent woman was provided protection from being falsely accused and being stoned to death being innocent. We already know that in Leviticus and Deuteronomy it says that if any person committed adultery, male or female, they were stoned to death. There was no trial. But the case is hidden from his eyes and no witnesses. And therefore, the woman was protected by this procedure. See, at first you look at it if you're a woman's lib and you say, that's unfair, that's not right, that's not equal rights. Oh, you're so right. God went out of his way to protect the woman. <laughs> so she wouldn't be accused falsely. Thirdly, the man would have to bear his own shame before society as he hastily accused his wife of unfaithfulness. That'd be a shame on him. Embarrassment. Fourthly, the husband's trust for his wife was restored to ensure a loving home and a life together, strengthening society. Once she was declared innocent, there was no second question. He didn't walk on and say, now are you sure? God says she's innocent. Do you know what that does to the man? Peace. He can love his wife. Stability for society. We are also called the people of God in the New Testament, the community of God's redeemed, who are also to be faithful people in the covenant of marriage. Malachi 2, 14 and 16, God speaks to the people about their unfaithfulness. He says, you have done treacherous to the wife of your youth. Here you come to the altar, you're crying, you're offering gifts, this and that. And I, I, don't, even, I don't even pay attention to them because you, you've, you've put your wife aside. You've committed adultery. You've put her away for another. You, 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 I hate divorce. Ephesians 5, 21 through 31 speaks about the parallel between Christ and the church and the husband to the wife. You're honest. Truthful relationship of who you are. 
so important. We no longer have this law or potential ritual other than God giving you a word of knowledge that your mate has been unfaithful. That's the only way you can know. Therefore, we are left to our own integrity and honesty with each other. Ephesians 4.25 says, Stop lying one to another. You're Christians now. Ephesians 4.22 says, Be loving and tender hearted towards one another, forgiving one another, even as Christ has forgiven you. Here are some of the benefits. You will enjoy each other. You know many people, married people, don't enjoy each other? They'd rather be someplace else than be with the one they're married to. You will release unforgiveness and bitterness. You'll be able to experience peace. God's love. When there is mistrust in the marriage, when there is suspicion, there used to be a song in the world 20 years ago, wear it on your face. <laughs> That's exactly where you wear it. You cannot stop it. It will come clear through. Obedience to a faithful and trustworthy life in marriage results in a strong, productive, and stable society. God's going to take two to three million people across the desert. Here's an assurance of a stable society. How much more does our society need that today? Look around. How much more does the Christian community need to follow these three principles? We're not people. We're not. And it's hurting our homes on every level that we've touched on this morning. And therefore it's hurting the society of God's redeemed, the church. Absolutely. This is a good example of the Old Testament writings of being written for our learning, for admonition, types. Lest we come to the very same place and come to the same destruction. And therefore, we are to take heed lest we think we're going to stand and we end up falling. If God pointed these three factors to be important for the wilderness journey to have a productive and healthy society, stable, how much more for us as a church? The call to a sanctified and holy life Focusing on the individual's responsibility in society. Obedience to a sanctified and holy life resulting in physically and spiritually healthy society. Secondly, the call to a truthful and just life. Focusing on their interrelationship, your interrelationship, my interrelationship with others in society. Obedience to a truthful and just life with others resulting in what? A morally ethically and emotionally stable, healthy society. Thirdly, the call to a faithful and trustworthy life. Focusing on marital relationships for the sake of society. Obedience to a faithful and trustworthy life. In marriage, resulting in a strong, productive, and stable society. One leads to the other. You have to examine your life where you're at as an individual, as individual in relationship to society and individual to your married relationship. There are three key factors for a healthy society in the world or in the church. And we must take heed to this. And if not, you will never experience abundant life. You will never experience abundant life. It'll be one big bummer. I 
Brother God, deal with us. Pastor Xavier Reese, making practical application for God's order for holy living that makes for a stable and responsible society. And just before we close, let me take these last moments to mention that copies of today's study, simply titled God's Order for a Healthy Society, are available, as always, on CD for just $4. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is simply God's Order for a Healthy Society. Or just mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com